Welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback. I'm one of the hosts, Asia Bonilla. And I'm Charles Sheeland, the other host. And today we're starting the first book of the Hunger Games series. And as we like to tell you every week, we're a book club podcast with the Nerd Party Network, and we're reading and rereading young adult books and sharing them with each other. And this episode begins the first book of our fifth series, which is just mind-blowing. In fact, this is episode 40 of our podcast. Like, wow, we're just blazing right along. Yeah, that's crazy, episode 40. We're best friends. We share these books with each other, and we you know, turn that into a podcast. We've been alternating series that one of us has read and the other hasn't read, so you get to hear differing perspectives. But we made an exception this time to read the Hunger Games series. Both of us have read and engaged with the Hunger Games quite a bit, so we're sort of considering this a bit of a reset, and I've enjoyed everything we've read so far, but this, like, truly brought back middle school memories. Like, aggressive eighth grade memories i think i think it must have been eighth grade okay and i don't want to jump ahead but like i really 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 love this and i think that you did too asia oh yeah i i love the hunger games so much and i just have to say i was a little worried that i wasn't gonna like it as much because we know that Suzanne Collins like recently just came out with a prequel this past summer in 2020. And I read that and I actually did read just the first book, The Hunger Games again. And I watched all the movies again. So I was like, I'm pretty familiar with the story. So I was worried that, you know, since I had read it, I mean, at this point now it's been about a year. I wasn't going to enjoy it as much since I more recently reread it. But no, I, this first half of the reading, like we, I think we can both agree. We didn't want to stop. We wanted to keep reading until the end. So I was really excited with that. But I think that just goes to show like how good of a story it is in general, which we're going to dive into. And Charles is on summary duty for this series as I just did it for the Golden Compass. So Charles, dive right in. Yep, back on summary duty. And well, we'll just see how this goes because there was a lot, but... We meet Katniss Everdeen, who is a 16-year-old from District 12, which is the poorest district in a dystopian country called Panem that developed across North America in the distant, not-so-distant future. And Katniss enters the Hunger Games, which is an annual tournament in which two tribute teenagers from each district fight to the death in an arena as orchestrated by the capital, which is the tyrannical seat of power in Panem. And I feel like I just skipped, like, everything. But, like I said, there's a lot that's happening. And we'll probably explain a little better as we go along. But Katniss and her fellow District 12 tribute, PETA, they travel to the capital and they prepare for the games. And, actually, we even have them entering the arena. And we actually finish with Katniss's first kills within the arena. And, again, I'm so sorry that I'm skipping everything. But, like... If I go any more specific, we'll get bogged down. So I think we should just dive in, and then we'll go over plot points as we get to them. But And that sort of was my main impression when I was reading it, was that the pace was so fast. And not in a 
it felt fast and therefore confusing way. It felt fast in a she's just getting plot and world building done at the same time really quickly. Like we got a really pretty good introduction to Pan Am already. And I think that's just a testament to Suzanne Collins's writing. And I'll probably talk about this a little more, but I think she does an excellent job of introducing the past of Pan Am as well. And again, there's just like, I think it's clever writing that'll pay off. So, but again, that's sort of skipping ahead. So Asia, what about your impression? So yeah, I, I'll just say like, again, I really, really love this series. And I think for me, something that I didn't remember was how gory and violent this series is, which we kind of talked about in the last episodes with the golden compass but again we hadn't read it yet so I wasn't really thinking about it and I think because I want to think about throughout this whole series of like why do I like this series so much more than like the two series that we've read that I had never read before which is the secrets of the immortal Nicholas Fumel and the golden compass and I was thinking specifically comparing this to the golden compass I think I like Katniss's character more just simple introduction of, I mean, the first thing we really get of her is, you know, she's taking care of her family and then she volunteers for her sister. So she's already pretty much a very likable character. Like you're like, she clearly has like a good heart. And then also I just think that her being older and obviously when we read this for the first time, we were like in middle school. So, you know, you're trying to like relate to that older character. So I don't know. And then also how you just talked about how, Colin's like way of being like really concise with how she does the world building while also pushing forward the plot. I mean, something we noticed when I we first popped open the book is how like it's so much shorter than just the Golden Compass that we just read, which I think I just kind of appreciate when it's a little bit faster because something I talked about in the last few episodes with the Golden Compass and that whole series, how there was just like a lot going on that sometimes it was just like a little overwhelming. And that's obviously a personal preference because again, I don't like fantasy as much, which usually has way more going on. But yeah, that was overall my impression. I think it'll be interesting to like compare to like, why do I love this series so much? Yeah, well, definitely because I I do love it too. But the gore was not something that I forgot got about maybe I forgot like how explicit it is but like when you think our games you're like ah teenagers killing them each other that's gonna be fun I guess I feel I feel like I just like excused it maybe if that's like a better word because I like the story that's probably more accurate (laughs) but we've got more gore ahead (laughs) of us trust me so diving in we meet Katniss and she really shows her ruthless side. Like the first thing she says about herself is that she used that she tried to drown Buttercup, the cat. And I didn't remember that, but it sets the tone quite nicely. But you know, and more importantly, we learn pretty quickly that Katniss's relationship with her mom is understandably strained because she's not forgiven her mom for sort of shutting down after her dad's death. And Asia, I want to hear your thoughts on this because, like. That was definitely something that I picked up on this time was Katniss's tense relationship with her mom, which I'm not saying I didn't notice it as a younger reader, but I feel like it's something that maybe I didn't notice as much, or I could definitely see going over the head over the head of someone who is like more into like reading it for the action. Oh yeah, definitely this reading. I feel like it was more like in your face, like especially as an adult. Like I feel like. Again, you're going to pick up different things. 
But, like, I definitely remember, like, her having, like, a strained relationship with her mother for her kind of, like, disappearing or, like, kind of crawling into herself once their dad died. But, yeah, it's way more, like, obvious reading this as an older person and an adult and kind of, like, really seeing what Katniss had to go through. Like, she literally had to become the head of the household and take care of her family. Otherwise, they would have starved to death. When she was 12. When, yeah, when she was not even 12, 11. She wasn't even yet 12, so she couldn't enter her name in for the, what's it called? The Tesserae. The Tesserae to get the grain for extra entries into the Hunger Games. So, like, she wasn't even, like, of age of in, like, the Hunger Games world of, like, at that age of 12 to even be entered when this all happened. So, like, I totally understand and empathize with how Katniss feels about her mother. And she kind of hates her in a sense. because She does. She, she, she hates her. She, she hates, hates her, her mother because, like I said, she literally abandoned herself and Prim in their greatest time of need. And like they would have starved to death if not for Katniss stepping up. But I do think that coming from adult perspective, you know, I do think she, which we'll see if she'll eventually learn to, you know, forgive her mother for what she did and kind of, you know, going into that deep depression because ultimately it is like a waste of time to like hate somebody like, cause that just takes away energy from yourself. So I think she, will eventually forgive her as she gets older. But I did think that was something that was just more like, again, like in your face reading it as an older reader. Yeah, I think that like, it's just something that also jumps out to you like as an adult, like thinking about your relationship with your mother. Like as adults, you now have different relationships with your mothers. I mean, granted, we do not hate our mothers. We love our mothers. But I just, I do think that like that sort of like mature relationship, like, or the way that Katniss is thinking about the relationship is because she doesn't see her mom as her mom. She sort of sees her as like someone that like her child almost, or someone that she has to care for. I just think that it's like the, the dynamic of the inter- the relationship is definitely more interesting to me as an adult rather than like as whatever I was when I read this the first time. And I was thinking more about, Oh my God, she can shoot with a bow and arrow. Oh, for sure. So Katniss is running the family, and then there's the reaping, which is when they pick the tributes. And you can, like, totally feel her panic when she's yelling at her mom. So she gets, or she, Prim gets picked, she volunteers, and she's yelling at her mom. She's like, if you cannot, like, shut down again, like, there's no one else. It's you taking care of Prim. Prim cannot take care of herself. She's 12. And, like, if I die on TV and you have to watch it, you can't do the same thing. And, like... She's really, like, you can feel that Katniss is still running the household, even in this moment of vulnerability. But that's me jumping ahead. Let me, let's backtrack to the reaping. Yes, let's backtrack. So, Panem is the country over North America, which is divided into 13 districts and a capital state. And the districts did rebel in the past, which caused the actual destruction of District 13 and the introduction of the Hunger Games. And every year, two teenagers are drawn from each district, and they go to the capital, to an arena, and fight to the death. And Katniss's sister, Prim, who just who's 12, so this is her first time being entered into the games, her name is in The Reaping one time, she gets picked, of course. <laughs> And so, of course, Katniss volunteers for her because she's like, I'm not letting my little sister, who has will not hurt a fly, go into the Hunger Games. So she takes her spot. And her fellow tribute from District 12 is Peta Malark, 
who we learn through Katniss like having flashbacks that he once basically saved her and her family's life from starving to death by giving her bread. So they obviously have somewhat of a complicated relationship because, you know, he saved her life, but they haven't really ever spoken. So, and on top of all and that... And now they're going to try to kill each other. And now they're going to be entering this Hunger Games where they're going to, yeah, be expected to kill each other. And on top of all that, they are also accompanied by the only living victor from District 12, which is Haymitch, who's just a drunk and a total mess. And he is the person who is going to be taking care of them once they're in the arena. He's going to be getting their sponsors. So, like... They're obviously worried about that because he seems very unreliable. And their capital escort, who is the very ridiculous Effie Trinket. And after they get picked, they travel to the capital and begin prepping for the games. And side note, like as you were describing all those characters, I'm like, wow, this movie, these movies were so well cast. Like, oh, for sure. Elizabeth Banks is Effie. And like, I have vivid memories of like Elizabeth Banks with like, butterflies in her eyelashes as Effie. And I can't remember the guy who played Hamish, but he was so good. He was just like perfect. Like the casting in these movies was excellent, but we're talking about the books right now. Charles, calm down. So thank you for breaking all that down. That was much better than what I gave. And I didn't actually have that many notes as we were going through because it's a lot of plot plot, plot, Katniss is poor, and she's conflicted about PETA, and then she's worried about Prim, and then just more and more plot, plot, plot. But, again, it, you know, it felt complete, but also I think at this point, The Hunger Games is kind of like a cultural touchstone, especially for our generation, so I don't think we have to, like, get too deep into, you know, summarizing the plot. I think everyone kind of knows the concept and premise of The Hunger Games, so... She, so Katniss gets to the Capitol. She meets her stylist, Cinna, whom she immediately likes because somehow he's, like, very un-Capitol-like. So the people in the Capitol, like, they dye their skin. They have weird style choices. Like, they're, like, you know, sort of portrayed as ridiculous. Like, they do strange things to their bodies. Like, it's, and I've always thought it was, like, a little bit of convenience that, like, of course, Katniss's stylist happens to be, like, actually really normal. And then he's, like, also really, like, way smarter than any stylist ever. And he makes her look so beautiful. Like, you know, then we have all the whole Katniss girl on fire, like, both of her outfits. I, I've i always felt like, I mean, I like Sina a lot as a character, but I've always felt like it's, a, like, a little convenient that her stylist is just so perfect. What do you think? Yeah, Sin is one of those characters that I wish we could get some kind of background on him because obviously we're assuming since he lives in the capital, works in the capital, he's from the capital, so he was obviously born into a capital family. So, like, what made him not want to be like everybody else in the capital who, like you said, dyes their skin, does all these crazy things basically to entertain themselves? What made him kind of not think that? And then obviously is we get further into the books of, like, why does he kind of seem like he's on the side of the districts? Like, I just wonder, like, what got him to that point? Is it just, like, the idea of having a moral compass? Which, like, I, from what I remember, I don't think we really get much on him. He's more of a... I don't think we get much of it. Yeah. He's a supporting That's the kind character. of thing. It's, like, it feels convenient that he's, like, benevolent, benevolently amazing. <laughs> also, again, amazing casting. Lenny Kravitz is Cinna, and he was perfect for this role. Yeah. Like, because I don't even think they... Is Cinna described as black in the book? I don't think so. I think the only description is that he has the gold eyeliner. 
Yeah, I don't know if it said that he had like darker a darker skin tone. I don't think so. Like the the thing that Katniss mentions, she's like he hasn't like made himself look crazy except gold eyeliner that makes him look beautiful. Yeah. And obviously that is actually in the movies as well, but like Lenny Kravitz is excellent in this part. Mhm. <laughs> okay, again, just fangirling out these movies. And so, you know, as you know, if you listen to this podcast, we love world building on the show. So I'm tracking a couple things. Most notably, each of the district produces something. So like there's a cultural aspect to each district and like the tributes have to dress like that. And like you'll see that tributes have certain skills that are related to their district a little bit. Sometimes like, you know, the fact that like Prue, not Prue, I just combined Prue. Prim and Rue. Thank you. <laughs> Well, I mean, they're compared all the time. And a little Great British break-off just dropped into my brain. Rue can, like, float between trees. And, float? like, we're going to get a little... Yeah, she, like, jumps between them I, without wrestling them, barely. I don't know if that's floating. Okay, well, we know she's from the agriculture district. Yeah. But, so I'm tracking what each district makes, and I will track this throughout the... As we read the book. So, District 1 makes luxury products. District 3 makes factories, whatever that means. District 4 does fishing. And District 11, like I said, does agriculture. And District 12, of course, does coal. And like I said, I actually remember what some of the other ones are. Like, I know I, I this isn't a real spoiler, but District 7 is lumber. But we'll get more into that. <laughs> spoiler of all spoilers. District 7 is this lumber. This is the spoiler of all How spoilers. Our show that? is canceled. District 7 is lumber. Oh, my God. Anyway. This tracking this sort of stuff is important to me and probably just me. Well, but I remember like when the like we're first reading the books and like seeing the movies, it was like interesting to kind of figure out what district does what. Because I think like I'm pretty sure like they don't she doesn't reveal what every single district does. Like you get most of them, but I feel like there's still some districts that's like not. Yeah, she said sure. that graphite mining was in thirteen, which is a little bit of a um not a not a spoiler. It's a little bit of a preview as to like what thirteen was really for, mm-hmm. like thirteen. But um, it's not. Yeah, it, it is. It, it's again. It's world building. It's fleshing out a universe because it could just be like we arbitrarily divided the country or the continent into twelve districts. Yeah. But the fact that there's a character to each district is important. Um, or it just it makes the story richer. Yeah. And I also have to mention, because we've already gotten to them to the Capitol, but there's the iconic scene in the movie where Hamish like sticks a knife into the table and Effie's like, that was mahogany. And it's so iconic. And like it's one of those things where like my brain like mind melded it. I wasn't sure if it was in the book or not. It's not in the book. It's just in the movie. But I wanted to call it out because I was, like, reading and I was like, I wonder if this is in the book or the movie because it's, like, such an iconic scene. Wow. I'm sorry. You're just giving me the I'm sorry you were disappointed. I mean, I didn't really remember. Like, I knew that was, like, an iconic line, but. It's okay. We have some other iconic lines coming up. (laughs) Okay. So, back to the plot. They're now in the Capitol and they're preparing for the games and they go to training and after their training, they get to all show, like, their skills to the game makers. And Katniss loses her temper because she's the last person to go. So, like, obviously, by the time they've seen, like, 24 kids, they're super uninterested and they're, like, just ready for lunch. 
And she ends up getting so angry that she shoots, you know, because she's the bow and arrow girl. She shoots an arrow at the game makers and then just says, thank you for your consideration, which to me, that is the most iconic line ever. But, and she ends up earning the highest training score by getting an 11. As we know, she's very, very good at archery. Yeah, no, that's one. Also, that one is definitely in the movie. The thank you for your Also, her little curtsy. Yeah, she does a little, like, it's very... That is one of the probably the most iconic lines, one of them from the whole series. I have another really good one, um, but she doesn't say it out loud, so it doesn't have the same like punch. But and again, back to world building. So we have some districts that like suck up to the capital, like districts one, two, and four. They suck up to the capital, and they their tributes are called careers because they spend their whole lives preparing for the games, and like. They always, like, it's a complicated process when they do the reaping because everyone volunteers to be in it. So they're, like, really good because they spent their whole lives prepping, which is, like, I mean, I understand the impulse of, like, you want glory, but I'm, like, I don't understand the impulse enough because I'm, like, like, odds-wise, 1 in 24 is going to win. And so I'm, like, I don't know if I want to put my life on the line. If I came from one of those districts and you know that people are going to volunteer, you'd be like, okay, well, then I'll just take it easy because someone will volunteer Truly, for I'm me. I'm like, someone else really wants it, so I'm not, like, I don't have to worry. If my name gets drawn, I'm going to take that extra grain, even if I'm rich, because then I can bake bread all week, all year. Someone else is going to volunteer to take my <laughs> spot anyway, and I don't have to die. Like, but I'm from a cushy district. Well, again. It's world building. We get the careers. This is obviously an important part of the story is that the the tributes from one, two, and four are very powerful because they're really good. And I want to talk a little more about the training. So in the training, they come up with this idea to link PETA and Katniss, which I did not remember being happening so early. Like literally their introduction ceremony, they're holding hands, which makes no sense to Katniss because she's like, we're going to kill each other. Why are we pretending we like each other? And they're, like, training together. Like, they're getting their advice together, which is, like, weird to Katniss. And I definitely, this definitely went over my head when I was reading it the first time. Because the linking doesn't make very much sense. And Katniss is aware of it. She's kind of confused by it, too. Like, it doesn't make sense. Well, it also makes sense that you wouldn't catch it. Because since we're, since we're reading from Katniss's perspective, you're kind of going through it with her. So you would be like, why are they doing this? But... Then they have their interviews, which then the whole plan and everything does make sense. Yeah. So in, well, first we have to mention Katniss's flame dress because this moment is so, is so visual. It's described so well, like, like the dress wasn't exactly how I imagined it, but it was like pretty close to how I imagined it. And like the fact that I was not, yeah, in the movie. I was going to also say, I feel like the movie dress it was a little bit of a disappointment. I feel like it was a little bit of a disappointment also because I just... Which I'm, I'm going to say is probably just because of budget because, I mean, even when we get into Catching Fire, like, the movie... I mean, that's with any, like, movie series. Like, as movies go on, they usually get better looking because you get a bigger budget. But, yeah, I do remember that, like, the first costume when they come out in, like, the chariots, like, that one was fine. Like, that was pretty, like... Yeah. How it was described. But the dress, it was, like, a little... It wasn't exactly... What I would have pictured. Yeah. From what I remember. I was also in middle school and I was not a consulting producer on this movie. But if I had been, I would have done the dress a little differently. But it's a great moment to read because it's described so well in the book that you like 
every person who reads it has a very clear visual image of this dress. I think that was also part of the problem was like it was, and you're going to have the same thing with another dress down the line, but like, and you have also for her reaping dress, she's wearing the blue dress that her mom, you know, that was from her mom. And then she's wearing a blue dress in the movie. Like there's certain like articles of clothing that are obviously super like visually described. And so you've got, everyone has an image and then you put it in a movie. And of course no one is going to have that exact image, but in the interviews, PETA says that he's been in love with Katniss forever. And I remember reading this at, in middle school, and I was like, so Katniss in the book, she's like, this is all an act. She's like, this isn't true. Like, this is just a strategy, like, to make me look weak. And then she's like, just kidding. It's strategy to, like, make me desirable. But, like, when I read it, I was like, PETA's totally in love with her. Like, I was, like, I thought it was completely genuine. So, Asia, did you, when you read it, in middle school, did you think it was genuine or did you think it was a strategy? If I had to guess, I would think that reading it for the first time, based on the things that we've heard, like, it's totally plausible that, like, Peta, you know, gave her the bread and she describes how, even though they never talked, she would catch him, like, they would make eye contact and he'd have been, like, staring at her. So, like, based on what we had read, that's definitely something that could have been possible. So, yeah, I think I would have thought it was possibly genuine i definitely don't think i would have been like oh this is the strategy they're going to use to like win like that's not at all where i think my mind would have went you know at 12 Mm -hmm. or 13 years old so yeah i think i would have just assumed it was genuine that first time around but obviously now we know the story so we know that's not but yeah like i just feel like this whole plan of theirs to have you know Peta confess his love for Katniss so it kind of groups them together as like these star-crossed lovers like I feel like reading this for the first time I don't think even how you mentioned earlier about like how long this plan had been forming I don't think I realized like how like they had come up with this plan from the beginning I mean obviously we don't want to spoil the ending just yet but like how this is going to play out like it's just it was all like a strategy from the beginning, which like I feel like maybe when I read it for the first time, I didn't see it as much of that. Like, I feel like obviously once we get the interview, you're assuming, okay, well, since they had been, Hamish had, or Pete had said that Hamish wanted Hamish to train them separately. Like they came up with this plan on their own at that point. But it seems like, like you said, it came, they came up with this like way probably at the beginning. Yeah. I actually was thinking about that because I was aware of like this linking that didn't make very much sense. And I think it must have been when they're on the train and Hamish throws up everywhere and Peta was like, I'll clean him up myself. That must have been when he and Peta and Hamish must have discussed it. Now we don't know if it's like a, if Hamish and Peta, like Peta was like, I'm actually in love with Katniss. How do we keep her alive? Or if he's like, I just have an idea. Like, District 12, like, maybe we can, like, make ourselves special by, like, making ourselves appear a star-crossed lover. Like, we, I don't, we don't know what happened in that conversation, but it has to have been that moment when PETA's cleaning up drunk Hamish that they discuss, again, we don't know whether this is PETA's genuine feelings for Katniss or whether they come up with a strategy or whether this is just something that PETA tells Hamish and Hamish develops a strategy on his own. Like, we don't know any of that, but it had to be that moment because the next morning Hamish is like, I'm coaching you guys together. So we don't know what happened in that conversation because obviously it's from Katniss's perspective. But that evening must have been when some words were exchanged between Peta and Hamish. And it's, we don't know 
like if there's a like if there's a plan or what the plan is, but we do know that like I mean marketing them as star-crossed lovers is you know, no one wants to break them apart. Yeah, I definitely think you're right. And also just thinking like cuz I wonder like if that is what like what their conversation could have been, like maybe Peta was whether his feelings were I don't know if he like necessarily actually had feelings for Katniss at that point just because like they had like never spoken and like also like based on the few words we got of them like how he talks about how like his mom came to see him and when she said goodbye she was like maybe we'll actually have a winner from district 12 and like she was talking about Katniss so like I don't think that Peta's necessarily or at the beginning would have been worried about whether Katniss was going to be able to survive if anything he could have brought like up to Hamish that it's like Katniss is actually like has a fighting chance like maybe not in a sense of like trying to save himself but he's like I can't do anything and then maybe Hamish came up with the plan of like well this is how we can save both of you because Katniss may be a good fighter but obviously as he starts to talk to her like he's like You're, she's not very likable like on the surface she's sullen and hostile yeah <laughs> Yeah, so it's like, he's like, but Pete is like this very charming guy. So like, we can put them together to like, so yeah, I think that's interesting. And like, we'll see obviously how it plays out through the rest of the book. Just see like, if that. Pete's mom is a witch. She's evil. I mean. She's so mean. Like, also something I do not, do not remember from the book. I mean, I definitely remember, I, I don't remember like it being like mentioned so many times because but it's mentioned like four or five times in this reading where Katniss is like I can't like she's like I have to sneak when I go to the baker because the baker will want the squirrels but the wife won't want the squirrels and she's really mean and then she beats Peta when he burns the bread and then she's so mean to Peta right before he goes to his slaughter <laughs> so it's um she's really unpleasant and that's also something I definitely missed when I first read it yeah I definitely all I remembered about the mother was like that she like hit Peta. With the bread, because obviously of that's, course. like, a pretty important story in the, like, whole plot line. But, yeah, just in this reading, like, yeah, Candace does mention it, like, four or five times about how terrible his mom is. But I also wanted to mention with the whole Peta wanting to maybe save himself, he does. Peta is the first of those two to kind of talk about how he doesn't want to end up just being, like, a game piece of the capital. Like, he... Right before, the night before they go into the games, like, he has this conversation with Kat, and it's like, you know, I want to die as me. Like, I don't want to go in there and, like, turn into this savage of, like, killing other children. Whereas Katniss, you know, just seems to be focusing on, like, how she's going to get home, like, how she's going to survive. Kind of, like, more of this mentality of, like, I'll do whatever it takes to live. Because, you know, she did. She promised Prim. Like, Prim's like, you could maybe win. Like, you should like go for it so like i understand so it's kind of like which i think is going to be a theme throughout this trilogy that like katniss never really like wanted to necessarily fight the capital like she obviously she's very practical yeah she disagrees with everything they've done like she says that but she she talks about like with Gail and stuff and, like, them hunting. She, like, she learned a long time ago that, like, keeping your mouth shut is the best way of surviving. And she's been, like, she's been forced, you know, like we said, to take over for her family and put food on the table. Like, she's just focusing on surviving the day, surviving the next day, getting her family through. So I totally understand her mindset, which is just going to be very interesting to see how that transforms throughout the series. Yeah, like you mentioned, like, Gail... Gail's like, what if we ran away? And she's like, that's a terrible plan. She's like, what are we going to do? Like, we don't know what it's like out there. And you have like three siblings and a mom. I have a sibling and a mom and a mom. 
Like, we can't bring them with us. Like, Katniss is incredibly practical. And I think that part of that, like, PETA's sort of, like, rebellious or, like, you know, wanting to, like, make a statement, like, idea, I think that comes from, like, the fact that he's expecting to die. Like, he's expecting to die in the arena. I don't think that he's, like, he's not, like, you know, just going to lie down and die. He's like, I'm going to kill someone if I have to. He says that. He's like, I'm not expecting to... He's like, I'm not going to, like, go out without a fight. But but PETA, like, especially, I think, because he's comparing himself to Katniss because she's the 12 tribute, and he knows that she, like, maybe does have a fighting chance. Like, I think that he especially is expecting not to survive in the arena and knowing that maybe, like, a 12 tribute could actually win. I think that, like, kind of, like, liberates his brain to, like, maybe think about some more abstract or, like, deeper things of, like how unjust this is with the capital, whereas Katniss is, like you just said, incredibly practical. Like, she doesn't think, she doesn't get, like, nominate herself and be like, and I'm going to go win the Hunger Games. But she does, she's like, I don't necessarily know if I have a good chance, but I have some chance. Like, I I do know how to survive, and I do have some hunting skills, and, like... A lot of hunting skills. I know. Honestly, Katniss is just the most impressive character. Like, reading from She's her so modest, too. Like, she's like, I'm like, maybe, she's like, if I shoot, maybe I'll go to six in archery. Like, she's so good. Like, ooh. Well, she's also, like, responsible. She's like, freak, yes, iodine. I can cleanse my water. Yeah, she's smart. She's like, I'm using my weight and my stature. Like, I can climb trees unlike other people. Like, I'm pretty fat. Like, she's just, like... It, and she undersells herself so much, too, which is, like, a pretty human response. But I think that, like, yeah, Katniss isn't thinking and, like, stick it to the capital. She's like, um, if I'm, like, I'm going to at least try to stay alive. Like, when the knife gets thrown at her and she's like, thank you for this knife. I'm going yeah. to use this. Like, Katniss is super practical. And speaking of which, like, they they go into the arena. Like, boom. Like, we're in the arena already, which is crazy. And Katniss, like I said, she survives that initial bloodbath. And then she's like in a tree and some idiot girl below her starts a fire. And Katniss wakes up and she's like, this girl's so stupid. And this is my favorite Katniss line. She says, stupid people are dangerous. (laughs) And that's my favorite Katniss line. And then, you know, at least wait, one more tribute out of the way. Some nameless girl, poor thing. But then... (laughs) That, you know, I just sounded that is so the thing brazen. In the books, like when like the other tributes get killed, like that's a child just died, but it's just like a lot of them are unnamed, so it's like it is. Crazy. It's a little easier to like. I mean, so far we have the careers that we've met: Glimmer, well, she just died, but Cato is the big guy from two, obviously Peta and Katniss, Rue from eleven, and then Thresh, Foxface, Thresh from eleven. Foxface from Seven. And then, like, we kind of have, like, a vague inkling of, like, the remaining careers. But, like, everyone else, the like, we don't know their names, so we feel no attachment when they're dead. And... Yeah. That will change... Yeah, it's a... Yeah, I think it's good... I think it's good to bear in mind that this is, like, a 12... Well... I think that Rue is probably the only 12-year-old in the games because it gets mentioned a couple times. But, like, yeah, I think it's she's definitely, the only 12-year-old in this one. It's, def- it's, like, it's a 13 to an 18-year-old. It's a child. And, like, not a child that wanted to be there. Like, when, when the 
when the careers die, I never feel any sympathy because I'm like, you probably volunteered or like you at least seem happy about this. <laughs> Whereas I'm like, no one else wanted to be there. Yeah. So anyway, my favorite lines, two people are dangerous. But then um, surprisingly, it turns out that PETA has teamed up with the careers, which is pretty unpleasant because and it's like confusing because and Candace is like kind of like she's really suspicious of PETA. She's like, he wants to be friends. He doesn't. We understand each other. No, we don't. He's so aloof. No, he's so serious. Why is he hyping up my talents? Why is he saying he's in love with me? Like, why did he say my life as a child? Like, he, she's really confused about PETA. And she's like, thank goodness he teamed up the careers. Now I won't feel badly killing him. But like, it's really, Katniss is very confused about this man. Well, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, I feel like I remember reading this for the first time and being like, why would PETA team up with the careers? Like, it makes no sense. I was sense. betrayed. Yeah, because especially, betrayed. like, we get revealed, like, when PETA, like, runs away for a second, Katniss can hear the careers saying, like, why are we even putting up with him? And they're like, he's our best shot at finding her, referencing Katniss, because obviously they see her as a threat. She got the 11 score from her training, and they don't know why. They just know, obviously, she has some kind of secret talent or something. And she's big, like, she was like the celebrity in the Capitol because she was like the underdog 12 sob story girl on fire. Exactly. Like, and so they're literally using and them as like their yeah. little career gang. They want to obviously get her while they have all their numbers as opposed to having to get her one-on-one. So it's clear why the careers are using PETA, but yes. And especially reading for this, if you were reading this for the first time, it is kind of like, well, why would PETA go with their careers? Like, we thought PETA cared about Katniss or he wanted her, you know, in the sense of like, okay, we know that they both can't win, but you wouldn't think that PETA wants to kill Katniss. It's kind of one of those things of like, he either wants her to win and survive, or if she does get killed, he doesn't want to be involved in her getting killed. Yeah, like he's, like Katniss's calculus is at first, she's like, obviously, first choice is I don't die. Second choice is, like, on-off. She's like, I would like it if it's PETA because he's a nice person. And then PETA betrays her. She's like, and I would like it to be Rue. But, like, yeah. Yeah, so it's, I mean, again, it's going to get complicated further after the Tracker Jackers. So let me, let's get there first and then. Yeah, so then Katniss, she, she was searching for water, which the description of this, which, like, I vaguely remembered this. But especially, you know, it being hot here in our New York City summer right now and our lots of heat waves, I can't even imagine going this long without water and her, like, describing her, like, how she's going to die of thirst. And I was like, I can't imagine. Like, literally, this to me was the most traumatizing part because I was like, this this is, sounds like the worst way to die <laughs> is to literally die. Like, she's like, my mouth is so dry. And she's like, because, I mean, I'm sure we've all, like... If you're like me, sometimes I get dehydrated pretty easily. And when I get dehydrated, I get really bad headaches. And like the amount of headache, like there's no way I would have, I would have crawled up into a ball and just died right there. There's no way I would have made it. Also, like what a sad way to die when like she actually likes, like if she died, I mean, obviously it would have been a really bad book if she just died of dehydration. <laughs> <laughs> like, and then plot over. But like, 
especially like someone who like she's like literally doing everything right. She's like like trying to think about how she would track water and like that's her priority. Like she's doing everything right and like to like just taken out by natural causes. And she's so smart too because she mentions how you know Hamish like she's like we said Hamish can get sponsors which can send them gifts in the arena. And so she's like water and he doesn't send her anything. And at first she's like oh my gosh like Hamish is probably drunk. And then she's like or he's not sending me any because I must be close to water. So he's not going to send it to me if he knows I'm going to find it. And, like, that kind of gives her, like, the extra bit of strength, you know, pushing through her, like, mind-splitting headache and, like, dying to find she finds water. But then... Or even when she gets there, she doesn't, like, down it all at once. She's, like, one sip at a time because she knows that her, like, fragile stomach, fragile, fragile system, like, if she just downs water, she'll probably, like, choke or throw up or, like, react badly. Like, Katniss... So smart. And like you said, you mentioned earlier, like, she takes the time to make sure that she purifies the water to make sure it's safe to drink. So she also doesn't get sick and ends up dying anyway. So. Like, she doesn't drink, she doesn't eat the berries when she's like, these are juicy berries. And then she's like, wait, I don't recognize the berries. I don't need water (laughs) that badly. Like, so smart. Yeah. But then, after, you know, she's chilling in the water they the game makers are like she's having too good of a time so they attack her with literal fireballs they start shooting <laughs> balls of fire Wall at of her. fire and then fireballs and then fireballs <laughs> so she gets totally attacked she gets burnt and she's just a mess basically but then she ends up the fire the wall of fire and everything it ends up kind of pushing her further like into the arena where she ends up kind of right with the careers with that whole gang so she has to like quickly scramble up a tree and they're base they come up and they're like we'll just wait her out and she's you know like oh goodness i'm in a terrible situation now like how am i gonna get out of this but she's like i'm gonna fall asleep here well, yeah, like, she gets this is one of those tree. moments. It's like a little surreal. I mean, she knows that like they're terrible at archery because they can't reach her with the bow because Glimmer has the bow, and they try to climb it, and they are all too heavy, so the which, tree breaks. Which something she talks about throughout the book is how she's a lot smaller than most of the because like since they talk about the careers, like if you've been training, like they're buff, like they're they have lots of muscle, so they're pretty heavy. Whereas like Katniss is starved her whole life, so she's pretty <laughs> skinny and you know a little emaciated probably, but still like strong in the sense of like she knows how to survive because she's lived like that and she's been she's hunted like in that state. So like she said, she's pretty nimble and like can climb trees really easily, which they don't have that because like I said they're heavy so she is kind of like not too worried because she's like she knows they're not gonna be able to get her and like I said they basically just said they're gonna wait her out because you know eventually she is gonna have to come down because she only has so much water and so much food but while she's in the tree we see Rue Rue for the first time in the arena and Rue points out that there is a tracker jacker hive which we learn that tracker jackers are one of the many mutations that the capital has like made during the wars with the districts and basically the tracker jackers it's like wasps that have been enhanced that when you get stung by them they (laughs) again the venom causes hallucinations it causes hallucinations massive boils massive boils and they said like usually people can only survive from like a few stings before you will probably die and so she decides you know this is the only way she's gonna get out she's gonna saw that thing off the branch and drop it on them to, you know, get away. And she does. And we get to see the tracker genom venom firsthand. And it is no joke. She, Katniss gets stung a few times 
and Glimmer and another unnamed career just they they're dead. They got a million stings. They do not make it. Well, it's like gross. The description of it is gross. Like they're like not human anymore. And well, completely disfigured, especially because Glimmer. Like the only really description we get of her is I think at the interviews, like she's in like a like a sheer dress or something, and kind of seen as like more of like a sex figure. And she's like, and now she's just completely disfigured. Like doesn't even look human. So just and then Katniss has to like break her rib to get the bow. Well, oh, her fingers. So she has to break her fingers because Glimmer has the yes, the bow and arrows, and she has to like and Katniss is like hallucinating and she's like ripping this girl's fingers off of the bow to get it which like again Katniss again showing her perseverance like she's like I she like is rent she runs away and then she's like the bow I need to get the bow and so she goes back and this is also because like she knows she's like one they're gonna beam this girl up into the hovercraft and then and Katniss like instinctively knows like of course there's only one bow in the freaking arena because like I showed the archery. The game makers gave me that 11. Like, it would make no sense for them to give me the 11 and then not give me a bow because there's no point in, like, spicing me up. Yeah, it's going to make the... Like, there's no entertainment value in that. So she knows there's one bow. And she's like, I got to, like, cover this girl's body until I can get the bow free. Like, Katniss, so smart. Exactly. Which, when she goes back to get the bow, she gets it. And we have a very important moment turning point because you know or at this point you know like Peta has betrayed Katniss because Peta, Peta, and like I think it's Kato the they had like re- they got away so like they only got stung like one time like Katniss but they come back because they're trying to get Katniss but Peta shows up first and he's like Katniss what are you doing you gotta run you gotta run and she's like what because she thinks that he's gonna kill her but obviously he doesn't and Peto saves her like before Kato shows up and he's like oh Katniss isn't here and she runs away and like Pretty much, I think that's, like, the last thing we get of the chapter is her kind of being, like, what just happened? Because, you know, also she's, like, hallucinating. And she's, like, why did PETA just save me? Like, or, because she's, I think she says. She says, PETA Malark just saved my life? And then she's, like, too, because she's, like, this boy saved me twice now. She's, like, I need to stop owing him or something like that. Like, yeah. But, yeah, so we just kind of end on that very confusing, like, high note. Of, you know, realizing maybe PETA hasn't actually betrayed Katniss, which I think is interesting, especially because, like, why then why is PETA with the careers? Like, what is that purpose going to serve? Which we'll obviously learn in the next reading. But, yeah, that's where we finished this first half of the book. So, Charles, do you have any final thoughts? I do. I just want to compliment... Suzanne Collins is writing again because of the way we were talking about her weaving world building and history in. So she is, we've been learning a lot about the history of Panem and the rebellion and the mutations and she just weaves it in really easily. And I just wanted to give kudos to that. Like it doesn't feel that expository, but she's setting up for the whole series. So like plot twist, anyone who's listening, there are three books in the series. Like, we're going to keep staying in this universe. And she's setting up the material of the other two books really well, but not in a heavy handed way. And I think that that's just really good writing on her part and like a testament to like the fact that she had planned the whole thing out when she wrote it. And I like, I mean, there are certain series that like, you know, like infamously JK Rowling, like 
had the whole frame of all seven Harry Potter books on the same moment when she, like when she first started writing it. And like, I think that that's just good. I think it's good writing. And I just wanted to call it out because, you know, on this podcast, normally I'm like, wow, Stephanie Meyer, that syntax was weird. (laughs) Well, I also just wanted to say, especially because with the prequel, it would be really interesting to know, like if she had that planned out when she wrote the first book, because I have to tell you, we are going to read the prequel at the end. There are details from this book that like clearly point to the prequel, which like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if like she had the idea for that or she just adjusted it to the book, but like. It's just either way. So, that's good work. Yeah, that's it's good so work. well done. Like, there's no like, like, there's no plot holes. At least from what I can remember. I mean, I've only read the prequel once, but like, there's no real plot holes. Like, everything just fits right in together. Like the like a perfect puzzle. Like, which obviously, like, yeah. as a reader, is just so like exciting. Like, that's so good. It's so satisfying, and I cannot wait to read Catching Fire. Asia and I both. I mean, honestly, anyone I've ever spoken to, like, I think that everyone's favorite book and movie in the series is Catching Fire. Oh, yeah. And the whole time we I was reading this, I was like, I love the Hunger Games, but wow, I can't wait to read Catching Fire. <laughs> like, and she set up Catching Fire and Mocking Jay really well. Like, oh my god, it's just she's setting it up, but without it being too much. And I think like she's giving history of the rebellion, which is important for the rest of the series. But she's not doing it in a let me give you a history lesson. It's like Katniss like sees the Tracker Jackers and she's like. They're from the rebellion. Blah 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 blah. And then yeah. she's like the mocking J pin. She's like, this is what the capital did, and then this is how the district like repelled it. And these are the industries of the district. Like it's it's it all fits into what Katniss is currently experiencing because it's Katniss's thoughts. Like she you know, as she meets like a tribute that from this district, she's like, ah, this district does this. And like that feeds into what is gonna happen in the other books. Because it's actually Katniss's thoughts. Like, it's just, it's really well done. It's very so. seamless. So, we gotta keep going. We've already finished our first episode in the series. We're going to read the second half of The Hunger Games for next week. So if you do read along, finish the book for next week. Yes, and as always, if you have any predictions, theories, or questions, or you just want to keep talking about the Hunger Games, or any of the series we've covered so far, remember that you can stay in touch with us about anything on the Nerd Party website. Just head over to nerdparty.com contact and select throwback paperback. You can send us an email there and get in touch with the network on Twitter at joinnerdparty or on Instagram at thenerdparty and facebook.com slash thenerdparty. To find me, I'm at asiabonia on Twitter and at asia.bonia on Instagram. And I'm at C.E. Sheeland on Twitter and at C. Shells on Instagram. And remember that if you enjoyed it, the show, make sure that you rate and review the podcast, share it with your friends, and of course, check out the other amazing podcasts on the Nerd Party Network, and make sure you're subscribed so that you don't miss us next week. Yes, hit that subscribe and have a good one. We'll see you next week. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.